You can open up to the uh, 19th chapter of the book of Proverbs. And um, I mean, who, who here would want to be biblically foolish? I mean, I don't think any of us would want to be biblically foolish or foolish in our life as Christians. We wouldn't want to be foolish. Uh, we want to be able to navigate life's circumstances that come our ways in a biblical way. Who here is in, uh, into glorifying the Lord in all that they do? Yeah, amen, that's right, right. Because the Bible says that whatever we do, it doesn't matter. Whatever occupation we have, wherever we go, whatever extracurricular we do, whatever it is, we're to honor the Lord in that and to worship the Lord through whatever we do. And so one of the things that we want to be is wise people, I think. And I think one of the things that we're learning as we move through Proverbs is that you have to apply yourself. Now, I get grace, but you have to apply yourself to what God is teaching you. And the bottom basement foundation of all wisdom, not earthly wisdom, but biblical wisdom is this. Here's where you start. Don't know where to start? Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and uh, biblical wisdom. And you could turn back to James and see the difference between eternal heavenly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And the big, uh, the difference is stark. Godly wisdom is righteous. It produces righteous things. It's promoting life, spiritual life in yourself and others. As God moves in and through you, that's what the book of James says. And then the wisdom of the world is always demonic and even sensual, the Bible says. And uh, it really uh, leads you down a wrong path. You could have very, very smart people who, according to the Bible, are not wise because they don't have the wisdom of God and they don't start with the fear of God. And so... We've been studying this for the last several weeks, and we're here in chapter 19. And I think I read this to you or talked to you about this, but I like what Chuck Swindoll says about why Proverbs is important. Let me read you a little bit of it. Is that okay? Proverbs accomplishes something that no other biblical book does. Isn't that interesting? My ears perk up when I hear that. That's what Chuck Swindoll says. It simply compiles numerous short instructions. And uh, if you're a male, that's probably a good thing. Oh, but anyway, that fell flat. But, but if any of us, right, short instructions are good. You ever, you know, when my wife starts giving me the instructions about what to do when she's away, and, you know, after about three or four, I was going to say paragraphs, but it's not really paragraphs. It's shorter than that. You just sort of tune out, and maybe that's my problem, but I think the Lord knew it in giving Solomon wisdom for all of us. And so there are short little instructions on how to live an effective biblical life here while you're on earth, while other books articulate theological truths that are profound. Are you catching that? Lengthy narratives of triumph and failure in other books or prophetic books. Proverbs concerns itself completely with instructing people in the path of wisdom. It's devoted to wisdom. And the writers of the book recognized the varied circumstances of a person's life and provided principles to apply in a variety of situations, rather than instructions to follow in only a few instances. 
and they are all mixed up. And every time you go to a different chapter, you sort of say to yourself, well, I heard that in the last chapter or two chapters ago. Well, it's perfect for reading at once, you know, one each day for a month. It gives you a little bit of all the different circumstances you're going to encounter for the day. And we keep saying that. And one of the things that I tried to compile, I just want you to see this. These are the, some of the topics that are contained in different Proverbs, but all throughout the Proverbs, if that makes sense. Wisdom, of course, but it tells you the difference between wise people and foolish people everywhere in the Proverbs. You know that. Lots of other things that uh, you are, are, are talked about. Righteousness and what truth is and discipline and hard work and laziness and uh, the way of the tongue. And we're going to get into some of that tonight and lots of other things. And so when we move over to chapter 19, here's what I would ask you to do with me here is let's bow our heads and pray together. Here, here's the danger. Eh, I heard all this before. It's the same thing as 18. It's the same thing at 17. But folks, I told you this a couple weeks ago. I used to coach with a guy at the University of Hawaii. Remember this? And he had that thing that goes up on the wall, the old thing. He had a little, uh, uh, what's it called? Overhead projector. And he had those transparencies. And he would draw up on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, all the plays that we were going to run that week. And he would draw them. And it'd take a long time, folks. Think about all the zeros. You ever seen somebody draw a football play? O's, O's, boxes, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And he'd draw them all in the formations. You'd have to sit there and watch. And it'd take a long time. And uh, Monday, guess what would happen before we went to practice? He would do the exact same thing. I mean, right? And Tuesday, he would do the same thing. (laughs) And Wednesday, he'd do the same thing. And Thursday, he'd do the same thing. And Saturday, before we play, he'd do the same thing. And um, he was pretty successful. You guys knew him here if you lived here while Dan Marino was the quarterback at Pittsburgh because he was Dan Marino's coach. And then when Dan Marino went to um, the Miami Dolphins, he followed him and became the offensive coordinator at the Miami Dolphins. So he knew something. He knew that repetition helps breed learning. And even sometimes, you know, uh, you think, well, okay, I know it, but do you obey it? You can know it, but do you obey it? Do you live it? And so we're going to go through it again. We're going to try and get through 20. We'll see about that. Here's something that the Lord has talked about several times. And after I read it, I'll pray. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. And Lord, we need your help by the Holy Spirit to give us truth, to speak to us truth. And Lord, then when we leave here, We pray you'd help us obey these things uh, because we don't want to be just hearers. We want to be doers of the world because people are hurting and dying all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what's interesting about this one, it's sort of the reverse of what we've been talking about. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity. Oftentimes in the Proverbs and sometimes even in the Gospels, it portrays 
poor people as a negative thing. The reason being is because it's talking in the realm of whether you work hard or whether you're lazy. If you work hard, generally, the principle is you're going to get ahead. And that's certainly true. I mean, the more you work at something, the better you are at it. If you want to know the Bible, you can't just say, I want to know the Bible. God bless you. What you do is you do a bit by bit, by bit just little by little, over a long period of time. It's always a marathon. It's never a sprint in the Christian life. I mean, I shouldn't say never. The Lord can do whatever he wants. But you know what I'm saying. Generally, you, if you want to know the Bible, you do a little bit a day for a long time. And to be wealthy, I guess, or to provide for yourself, it takes hard work and your family to be a provider. It takes hard work. And if you're lazy, that's a problem. It's all throughout the Proverbs. But here is the opposite. Here it's saying there's a situation in which it's way better to be poor. And that's this. Do you know this? Money, man, does something weird to people. The Lord knows it. You know, it's not the love of, uh, you know, it's not money that is a sin. It's the love of money. So you can have a love of money over a little bit and do some sinful things. It doesn't even have to be the accumulation of a lot. And what the Lord is telling us here through Solomon, who was really wealthy, folks, is that it's better he found. Remember, he's writing this to his kids, we think, to raise them up to be kings and queens and all that sort of thing, royalty. And he says it's better for the person who walks in his integrity. There's something bigger and larger at stake than just money. And when we work hard, the temptation sometimes is not just to give God glory for what we have and go forward as responsible, um, uh, godly citizens, but what happens is we begin to idolize money, and we want more, and we want more, and we'll do things that are not uh, godly to get the money. We'll cut corners, we'll lie, we'll cheat, we'll cheat on our taxes. We'll take money under the table. And God says here that it's better to leave that stuff at home or leave that stuff with whoever's doing it and have your integrity and have godly character and to have a good conscience about it. Amen? Yes, this is different than some of the rest of it. And he says it. It's better to be poor if you're walking in your integrity. If you can't walk in integrity while you're rich, be careful. Because who would want to lose their life but gain the whole world. Who would want to do that? To find out at the end that you have separation from God. No, you want eternal life. So you want to live for Jesus and have your integrity. It's better to be poor and walk in integrity than one uh, who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. And this is sort of saying this. You can get out of whack if you're chasing after riches. Interesting. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that an interesting way of saying it? i got to tell you something. Every time I quote it, did you hear me pause right there? Because I always get it mixed up. Because I always think that should say, where your heart is, there your treasure is. But I think what the Lord is telling us here with respect to money is to consciously make a decision, treasure eternal things. First, the Lord. And if you treasure those things, 
your heart will follow. See, because the heart is deceptively wicked. Who could know it? So that, and it's then one who is perverse. And this is saying here, you can get and do and say really weird things when you're chasing after money. It's unwise to do it. In fact, invest in the eternal, not the temporal. Also, it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. Praise the Lord. That's what we're doing. We are studying Proverbs because we don't want to be without knowledge. When we go to our jobs, when we go to the schools, when we do PTA, when we encounter people out in the culture, in the highways and byways of life, I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. I get asked some doozy things, like things you're like, I didn't see that one coming. And sometimes I'm like, as the person's speaking and describing what they're about ready to ask me, I'm literally going, Lord, I have no idea how I'm going to answer this. I need you. I want to help this person. I want to minister to this person, but I'm perplexed. I don't know. And sometimes I'll say, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to think about that and pray about it. And I try not to blow people off and I pray with them and then get back with them. But it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he who... Uh, and he sins who hastens with his feet. Now, you know what that's saying? Do you know what hasten means? It means go quickly. You're hasty about something. The Bible's saying right here, don't always run into everything. You always are so quick to run after this or to run there. I can look back in my Christian walk and think to myself, some of the greatest mistakes I've made in my Christian walk have has always been because I was too hasty. I met somebody and I trusted him and he turned out to be, you're like, whoa, wait a second. And you know, anyway, it's because I was too hasty. And what the Bible's saying here is a, a wise person, it doesn't mean you drag your feet, but you are cautious about these things. You don't run into every situation. And the foolishness of a man twists his way and uh, his heart frets against the Lord. Listen, what's funny about this proverb, I want you to think about this. We often rage against the Lord. Did you catch that? We fret against the Lord. We say things like, how could you, Lord? I'm your servant. I mean, what do you do? I, I've been to the Bible studies. I've been, to the, I've been giving money back there. How? Me? Why? We fret against the Lord. But did you catch the first part of the proverb? It's because we've been foolish, and oftentimes when we act foolish without the wisdom of the Lord, we blame God. Isn't that interesting? A foolish man does that. A foolish woman does that. Wealth makes many friends, of course. You know that proverb. If you ever hit the lottery, I think of this one uh, uh, mentally challenged young man who went to high school with us. He hit the lottery when I was working in my hometown before I moved to Hawaii. Uh, he made $100,000, $120,000 in the lottery, and that thing lasted about one year. And he had all these people, friends, come around and get his money. And, of course, wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friends. And that's just Solomon here just offering a, a, an observation that wealth draws people, but poor people don't have a lot of people coming around because they have nothing to offer. But you know this, that the Lord has a heart for the poor and disenfranchised, the lonely and the lost. 
And he passes that on to us. And he wants you to not have any clicks in your life. You know this? The, the rich person that comes through the door. Yes, we love them. The poor person that comes through the door. Oh, come on in and have a seat in the front. Can I get you something? Everybody in between, this color, that color. Dare I say it? I'm going to say it anyway. This political party, that political party, come. Let's talk about Jesus and grow and love one another and love people who are hurting. You say, wait a minute. Hey, the Lord will take care of the things. Anyway, I get in trouble for that one. But many entreat the favor of the, or excuse me, a false witness will not go unpunished. This is sort of speaking in court legal language. If you say something in court, I had it happen in one of my first cases. I'd interview this person. This person was on trial for a theft. Uh, she had told me what she had done and not done. Uh, we get up there and uh, I'm a new lawyer and... She starts lying on the stand. And here I am, a new lawyer. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I let this go on and somebody says she's lying and they know it, not only is she going to jail, my bar license is in trouble. So I called time out. I asked the judge. I said, judge, I need to come up and approach with the other attorney. He said, all right, come on up here. And I said, Judge, I'm going to have to uh, excuse myself from the case right now. He said, well, you're not doing that. And I said, well, I have to. And he goes, okay, see me in the back chambers. And we all went in the back chambers. And I'm telling you, the judge undressed me. I mean, just up and down, yelling, screaming at me. And I couldn't tell him. I'm bound by the attorney-client privilege. I couldn't say she was lying. But he knew. He finally got it. And uh, I'm, that girl was at real risk of going to jail. Real risk. And I was at real risk if I didn't say anything. And so a false witness in court won't go unpunished. But listen, this is talking about people who lie. You know this? Turn with me just so you see it. I want to keep my eyes from this but I'll turn there anyway. Matthew 12, verse 36. I want you to remind yourself, but I'm reminding me first. I want you to see something in Matthew 12, 36. This is astonishing. How many words do you think you said in your lifetime? Well, I don't have the statistics, but I know it's a lot, right? Look at this. I say to you, Jesus is talking, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Hmm. I go back here and I see a false witness won't go unpunished. You know what? You might have told a lie and uh, you say, wow, you know, I'd said that 10 years ago and I got away with that. Well, you didn't get away with it. <laughs> I didn't get away with it. Every idle word, every word that didn't matter or that was off key or wrong is going to, you're going to give an account. And here's the 
awful part of that. It's not like you're going to give an account to like some tribunal. You're going to give an account to Jesus. I'm going to give an account to Jesus for the idle words I speak. Whew, wow. A false witness won't go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. You'll hear about that. In fact, remember in Revelation, (laughs) God talks about some certain sins of people, people who are labeled these sorts of sinners, won't inherit the kingdom of God. And one is a liar. Now you say to yourself, you mean if I tell a lie, I'm not... Well, you know the blood of Jesus covers. But what that's talking about is habitual things that we do, and one of them's lying. It says it in the book of Revelation. Isn't that incredible? So it's a serious thing. False witness won't go unpunished, and many entreat the favor of the nobility. There it is again. People like to pander to powerful and rich people. And every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. Of course, you give me something, I'm your friend. And that's just a an observation by Solomon about the way the world runs. And all the brothers of the poor hate him. Poor were often rejected by others. But how about this? Poor are often rejected by others, but when you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you just start to jump up and down. And when you get to verse 9, And you know this verse, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. He gives you everything. That's what grace means. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. I mean, what sovereign king that we know here on earth would do something like that? Actually, none. Jesus became the poorest of the poor to prop us up and make us rich. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. Man, that's so different than God. That's the nature of man, but the nature of God is that he is for the poor and he's for the needy. In fact, if you're a Christian... The Bible says when you become a new creation, Jesus does this sermon. It's up on a mount (laughs) near the Sea of Galilee. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are us when we're poor in spirit. You know, if we have something going on in our lives, it's not necessarily the best thing to go, I'm going to conquer this thing. The best thing to say is, Lord... I am poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, and I need you. And I want you to come into my life and direct and guide me in this area. Isn't that the way, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he talks about it here. And uh, there's a gnat that's on my book. Dead now. (laughs) No, sorry, Peter. But anyway... uh, He who gets wisdom, verse 8, loves his own soul. Isn't that interesting? He who keeps understanding will find good. He who keeps understanding will find good. If you went over to chapter 16, verse 20, he who heeds the words wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. 
See, it's obedience. It's not just knowing. It's obedience. You prove that it's true to you. It is true. Don't get me wrong. You prove that the Word of God is true to you when you obey it. It is true, whether you obey it or not. But you, it's your truth. It's the truth in you when you obey. A false witness won't go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. And there you go. There's this certainty of God's judgment. And those parts I was talking about in Revelation is in verse or chapter 21, right around verse 8. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. Fools like luxury, right? But it's not right. You know, um, so luxury is not fitting for a fool. I mean, that's what they want. But, I mean, it's sort of like, do they deserve it? Much less for a servant to rule over princes. And the world, if you think that through, sort of has an upside-down way about it. Oftentimes the foolish are in luxury. And yet there comes a time when we'll be lifted high and rule and reign with our Lord. And here it comes. This is a very important one. You would want to memorize this. The discretion of a man or woman makes him or her slow to anger. I think some people think this verse makes them weak. If you're not angry and bossing people around, then are you even strong? But here, the discretion of a man, wisdom of a man or a woman, makes him or her slow to anger. And look at this. His glory is to overlook transgression. Whoa, wait a second. You know what the Bible's telling you right here? you got to let some things go. you got to let some things go here. I mean, you're going to be, the Bible says, a forgiving person because your Father has forgiven you. You're going to be a forgiven person. Forgiving person. You are a forgiven person. You're going to be a forgiving person. Get it? You will be that, but sometimes you just got to let some things go. Corey Tenboom tells this story about these people who publicly humiliated her over when she was growing up, uh, when she was a young lady. And it really bothered her because they did it in public, of course, and other people saw and it embarrassed her. And she was really hurt by this. Corey Tenboom, hero of the faith, right? Corey Tenboom says that some of the girls or whoever they was doing it came and apologized to her. And she said, okay. And she prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said, yeah, you know, forgive. And she extended her forgiveness to these people. And uh, uh, she went home. And for a day or two, she was fine. But she kept playing the humiliation over in her mind. And she became uh, sleepless. She couldn't sleep at night. And she was anxious and uh, upset, and it was killing her for about two weeks. And uh, after two weeks, it was Sunday came, and she went and talked to the pastor, a Lutheran pastor, where she went to church. And he said, hey, Corey, you know, and by the way, we have one, a bell back there. 
She says, forgiveness is a lot like a bell. You know how you pull the string on the bell and the bell rings? And what are you supposed to do after six or seven or ten pulls? You're supposed to let go of the string. And what will happen is the bell will ring there for a couple more times, but eventually the bell is going to settle itself and stop. And she, he, he said, you know what you're doing with this unforgiveness is you're pulling the string over and over again. Isn't that interesting? And she said once she had heard that, uh, she learned in her life that she wasn't to keep pulling the string on the hurt that was hurting her because she knew something very important. And what is it? That the Bible says the vengeance is the law hurts. I believe in the context of your relationship with the Lord and my relationship with the Lord, we can forgive anyone, listen, for anything. Now, you've got to listen to what I'm saying here. I believe in the context of your relationship with the Lord, my relationship with the Lord, I believe anyone can forgive anything or anything can be forgiven by, for anyone. You're saying, I know some of you people. You've told me your stories. And I know that's a hard thing for me to say and you to hear. But here's the thing about unforgiveness. It kills you, not the person you're holding the penalty over. You know that, right? And so the Lord says you're going to be a forgiving person because I'm forgiven or forgiving you. You've done some heinous things. Don't forget that, he says to me and to you. And I've forgiven you for those things. And the vengeance is mine. And if you're all worried about all of that, remember, I'm going to take care of it at the end, you see. Now, by the way, consequences are a different thing. There's consequences for people's actions. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean they don't go through the process and all that sort of thing. But you understand what I mean, right? So don't ring the bell. Don't pull on the string. And this, as you keep going here, The discretion of a man, I like to read it again, makes him slow to anger. And this is a choice here, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Sometimes you just got to let some things go. You can't just hold on for it forever. It's good just to overlook. Now, listen, I want you to know something here. I'm going to call a little time out. We're not talking about things like abuse and stuff like that. We're talking about the normal, everyday things of life. Abuse, different category, okay? Stuff like that. You know what I'm saying, I hope. Well, here, the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. Uh, (laughs) A wealthy, powerful person can really make an impact. Uh, And it's funny because he might just like you for just a short little time. How about this? A foolish son is the ruin of his father. Isn't that interesting? You know that both moms and dads are responsible to raise the kid. Do you understand that? If you're still in a two-parent home, we understand there's some single-parent homes, and you're doing the best you can, and we're not railing against that. What we're saying is, though, somehow, some way, isn't this interesting, Solomon is thinking about a mom and a dad, but he says, hey, dad, if your son's a fool, that's on you. Whoa. But moms, help and support. (laughs) Don't be like a continual dripping, drip, 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 drip. A nag, an irritator, 
in the family. And by the way, men don't do it either because the Bible says dads don't exasperate your kids. Don't make them give up. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent or a wise wife is from the Lord. When you get up there, men, women, when you get up there and say your vows, really, you're not saying, hey, thanks, mom and dad, for sending me your, wife, the, your daughter, although you are sort of saying that. But a wise wife, listen to what it says right there. It's coming from the Lord. Wow. What an amazing relationship marriage is, right? Incredible. Well, laziness casts one into a deep sleep. <laughs> if you're lazy, it leads to more laziness. Don't you agree? Who here has Netflix binged? You go, just one more. And then it gets to one more. And you go, just one more. And you just don't feel like getting up. Who here has swiped on their Instagram and two hours later you go, what in the world am I doing? Laziness breeds laziness, it says. And there's times when we need to rest, folks. 100%. There's times we need to rest. But you know the difference between rest and being lazy. And laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person is going to suffer hunger. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul. There's real benefit to doing, keeping the commandment. But he who is careless of his ways will die. And I think, listen, I'm big on this one. Because I live on this side of the cross and so do you. And I, somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Who? Which one of the ten? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. When you die, when I die, you know what I wanted to say on my tombstone man he knew theology like you wouldn't believe no i have i no man what a theologian you should see how he dissected the covenants he knew all the dispensations he knew and could converse about calvinism versus arminianism church history he was amazing or would you want it to just say, he loves people. He loves people. Like the Lord loves people. That's what it's saying right there. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul. Why? Because you're a born-again, spirit-filled Christian who loves people. You know, loving people means sometimes you just got to be quiet and listen to them. You don't always have to tell them everything about you. Yes, it's good to talk about you, but loving people is letting them tell their stories. Loving people is hearing things that aren't exactly fit in our theological box. Loving people is hearing people. Why are you surprised that non-Christians want to do things politically that you don't want to do? Why does that make you surprised? Why in the world would you be surprised about that? The Bible says that's going to happen, or whatever, in society. Why do you get so fired up about it? Now listen, of course, we want to stand for righteousness. We want to be for righteousness. We want to glorify Christ's name. But here's what. There's not too many people that really listen to you unless they know you love them. And when they know you love them, they'll listen. 
even if you have to be truthful to them. You can say hard things to people and still they know you love them. Do people know you love them or do you just blather on about your agenda and everything you want to talk about? Love people. Show up for them. Text them. Call them. Visit them. Tell them you love them. Give them a hug. Mean it. In Jesus' name. That's what he who keeps the man that keeps his soul. You have everlasting life because you're a new creation and God implants in you love, real love, not the world's love. But he who is careless of his ways will die. That invites death. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And listen, you have to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove when it comes to benevolence. Because there are a lot of people out there wanting to rip you off, man. But wouldn't you rather err on the side of getting burnt and being loving and graceful and generous than you would be on this side where you're just a miser and da 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 Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to be on that side? I want to err on the side of that side, the grace side, wouldn't you? And here's what I want you to notice. He who lends to those who are disenfranchised or poor is actually doing it to the Lord. That's what he says right here. Just like when you give a cup of water to somebody who's in need of a cup of water or clothes or go visit someone in prison, you're doing it as under the Lord, the Bible tells us. He's saying that's how much I value this. That's what the Lord says. Isn't that incredible? Be very prayerful and wise about helping the poor. And we try to do that here. We have some amazing servants who every Monday afternoon, every Monday, I laugh when people people call me and say, are they doing it this Monday? And I'm like, every Monday. <laughs> They'll call me. It's like 20 degrees. they doing it this Monday? Every Monday. And the reason I'm saying that is, don't call me, number one. No, I'm kidding. But number two, they're just, they're faithful to do it. They bring sometimes, I've been down there uh, before, and they have those old football heaters. It's incredible. They get these heaters out of the van. It's snow on the ground, ice. You ever seen these things that blow the heat out, and they have the people sit in front of them for a while? It's amazing. They just want to help and share the gospel and love people and feed them. It's amazing stuff. So see Mark or whoever, uh, if you want to get involved there. But... Anyway, you're lending to the Lord and he'll pay back what he has given. God will not be in debt to any man or to any woman. When you give, isn't it? I hear it every time, every Christmas. Oh, I went and did this and it blessed me more than it blessed them. That's because the Lord's paying you back. Incredible. So how about this one? Chasten your son while there is hope. You know, you have to discipline your kids. You have to. And you don't have to, anyway, you have to discipline your kids while there is hope. And this implies that at some point the hope runs out. Because remember, he's going to leave or she's going to leave the house before you know it. 18 years came and went fast, folks. Because if you do this, listen to what you're doing. You're putting the kid's heart on the pathway to destruction. If you fail 
to discipline your kids and correct your kids and make sure they know that they are not the center of the universe, but that they revolve around God, who is the center of the universe, what you're doing as a parent, what I'm doing as a parent, is you're setting your kid's heart on the pathway to destruction. That's a pretty tough word. So we got to get it right. Well, a man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. In other words, guys who fly off the handle, if you you know, smooth it over, it's just going to happen again. You've got to get to the root of the problem. And listen to counsel and receive instruction, that you may be wise in your latter days. Who here likes to receive criticism? Raise your hand. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And what's funny is Americans think the word criticism is bad. Criticism isn't bad. Somebody's just telling you, hey, I see something in your blind spot. You might want to consider this or that. You know, anyway. So you, you and I and we are to receive instruction. And the Bible here in Proverbs tells us about this over and over again. Listen to counsel that you may be wise in your latter days. You're growing in wisdom if you'll listen to people. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Oh, man, who hears type A? Who here is an organizer? Who here has to write everything? Mora, there we go. Mora's. Who here loves to have it all planned out? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't have vision, people will perish. But I want you to see something here. What this is saying is you better be flexible with your plans. Because it's the Lord's counsel that's going to stand. Can you imagine... You know, you tell the Lord, you know, Lord, when I grow up, this is what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm doing nothing that I told the Lord I was going to do. Zero. In fact, at one point in my life, here's what I told the Lord. I hate lawyering. I hate it, Lord. In fact, I'm going to walk away from it and go coach football, and I'm never going to go back to it again. I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. I hated it that bad. That's how bad I hated it. And after about mm, eight or nine years, I find myself practicing law again in a different state. Lord has a sense of humor, doesn't he? I would say to the Lord, Lord, I don't like confrontation. I don't want to do it. Oh, okay, here. You be a pastor, which is more confrontation than the lawyering. And you be a lawyer. And so you're going to be confronting people all day long, every day of your life. Is that funny or what? You better be flexible. I better be flexible. What is desired in a man is kindness. Ladies, not married, look for that in a man. But also men, not married, look for that in a woman, a young lady. What is desired in a man is kindness. Kindness. It's attractive. That's what it's saying there in the Hebrew. And a poor man is better than a liar. A poor man, there it is again, is better than a liar. You don't want to give up your integrity. And here it comes for several times again. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord leads to life. I was thinking about the women's retreat. They called it higher ground. They even made a painting. It was a beautiful painting, by the way, with cool, uh, cool thing. They called it higher ground, but I don't know that they really talked about higher ground. But still, it was a fabulous retreat. 
But as I think about this, I wrote in my Bible, the fear of the Lord leads to life, life, eternal life. You know what that means? You live in higher ground. You live in the heavenlies. The Bible says if you're a Christian in eternal life, you are seated in the heavenlies and you have every spiritual blessing, which means you live above the circumstances of life. Are you catching that? So if your circumstances are terrible, humanly, what does it matter? Because you live on higher ground. And if your circumstances are wonderful, the Lord's blessed you in uh, all these ways. You don't get arrogant and high, uh, you know, cocky and arrogant and all that sort of thing because that's below you. You live on higher ground. You're humble about it. You know that the Lord gave it to you and you stay up there in the higher areas. Isn't that wonderful? That's because you are fearing and respecting the Lord. And I have to tell you, one of the great places in the Bible where I see an example of the fear of the Lord. We talked about it on Sunday. It blows me away. Here you go. You got Noah who had to build an ark. God said, I want you to build an ark. Noah doesn't even know what an ark is. Why would you need an ark? Noah doesn't even know what rain is. God says, it's going to rain and you need to build an ark. And he does it. 120 years, 120 years. Family making fun of him. Society making fun of him. Uh, neighbors making fun of him, people making fun of him. Think about how big the ark is. Who's been to the ark encounter? It's huge. Now watch. He gets on the boat and the Lord says, I want you to go on the boat. Boom, goes on the boat. After over a year of not hearing from the Lord, can you imagine if you went on the boat? Listen, if you went on the boat, if you were busy making that ark for 120 years, and taking all the brunt of the criticism, the making fun of. Who likes to be made fun of? And you had all of that, and then the Lord said, come on the boat. Wouldn't you like, after you got on the boat, go to devotions the next day and say, Lord, I can't wait to hear from you today. Nothing. Next day, Lord, I can't wait to hear from you today. Nothing. And do that for one year. How would you feel? Well, here's how Noah felt. The rain concludes. God tells him to get off the ark. And guess what Noah does? He goes straight to worship. He builds an altar. And why I'm telling you that is, um, this is one who feared the Lord. That was the respect and awe that he had for the Lord. Here's what Noah said. Lord, if you talk to me every day or no days, I'm going to follow what you said. I'm in love with you because you've done so much for me. That's what Noah was saying. And I'm, I don't care. You chose not to talk to me. That's okay with me. And now that you've done and fulfilled all the, the, all the promises that you said you were going to fulfill, you didn't consult me, but that's no big deal to me, Noah said. Instead of getting off the ark, I was telling my boys today, when I got off the ark, you know what I'd have done? I'd have watched every Ohio State football game that they DVR'd for that whole year. You might have gone to a picnic. You might have gone on a hike. You might have played golf. You might have gone on a vacation. You might have done something else, just like I would have done. I went to Ohio State. You would have done something else. Noah builds an altar and worships because he had given his life back to the Lord. And listen, here's the funny part. Each one of you or most of you in here, I know personally, and I know you've made a profession of faith. And you've said that I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Right? Have you said that? 
And when you give your life to Jesus, one of the indicators of being a person who fears the Lord is that you're always giving thanks. That's what worship is. I would have tended to complain. Noah, he gets off the boat and he worships. It's the fear of the Lord. You know what happened? He was totally satisfied with everything that the Lord was doing. Listen, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. Where do you find satisfaction? It's in the presence of the Lord, folks. It's not your vacation. I want to go on vacations as much as all of you do. I love going on vacation. My favorite day of the year is the day we drive to the beach. I love it. No schedule, no timetable, no clock. I love it. But it, ultimately, you, you're going to come back. And what satisfies is the Lord himself. And Noah knew it. Watch this. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. This is a funny one. And will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. He just sticks his hand in the bowl. <laughs> He's too lazy to even get it out of the bowl. That's what that's saying. And you won't eat if you don't do that. Strike a scoffer and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who is understanding and he will discern knowledge. If you rebuke somebody who's wise, you know what they're going to do? They're going to take what you said and learn from it. Man, this was really funny. If you like college football like I do, uh, just this week, this really wonderful, this guy's going to be a pro. He plays for the University of Alabama. They were playing last week. It's a funny interview. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's perfect. He's going to be like a first round, second round, third round draft pick. He's going to make tons of money. Defensive back. He said uh, the other team scored and he's running. And if you know anything about Alabama's uh, coach, he is rough. And he's screaming towards him. And this is a, like a senior guy. And he's sort of looking around like, who's he screaming at? And he looks at him and he goes, oh, no, he's screaming at me. And uh, apparently the kid had made a mistake. And this coach, I mean, just got all over it. And he gives the interview after, and the reporter says, was that for you? And it's a funny interview. Go look it up. It's really cute. And he said, yeah, you know what, though? Here's what I've learned is that he loves me, and he wants me to go to the NFL, and he always is trying to make me improve. And so I've learned over the last three or four years that he does talk loud and he yells, but what he says always is true. And so I listen. I don't let the, 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 the loudness or the volume affect what he's telling me because he's wise and he's the coach and I listen to him. Isn't that fascinating? He was living out, this kid, this verse, that rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Of course, that's easy to know. Anyway, cease listening to instructions, my son, and you'll stray from the words of knowledge. A disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Uh, judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools. If you reject wisdom, there will be wrong paths that we go to and beatings that we take, maybe not physically, but a beating emotionally and spiritually that we never had to take. And so the Lord puts that in it. So as we close, you know what I'm praying for us? That we would be people who fear the Lord in that way. 
that Noah feared the Lord. You know, when we get to the next chapter, it's going to talk about chastening. It did a little bit in this chapter. Of course, chastening our kids is a good thing. If you know the New Testament, the Bible says that if you're being chastened by the Lord, glory in it, be happy, praise Him. Here's why, because you know that you're a son or a daughter of the King. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this evening and thank you for these folks and their hearts to know you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live these things out, to be flexible, to listen to criticism and learn from it like that player for Alabama did. To work hard, to say to you in our work life that you are being worshiped and glorified because you gave us talents to lead as fathers and to be wise as wives. Lord, not to be careless, but to be follower of your commandments. And your biggest commandment, Lord, is to love people, to love the unlovely, to love the ungodly, to love the spiritually gross, so to speak. To love those who are disenfranchised or lonely or way out there or whatever. Lord, we need your help. Fill us by your Holy Spirit. We need help to love like you did. Thank you for all these young people that you've brought here tonight, whether they're here in this sanctuary or they're across the street. I pray you'd bless them in a mighty way, and us too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.